0: Welcome, everybody, to an episode of the EM Over Easy podcast. We have guests here, George Willis and Christopher Colbert. Thanks so much for coming on. I am Andy Little, and I'm joined by none other than my co-host, Cal Now. So we wanted to do a clinical grind. Again, if you've listened to one of these before, this is Drew's brain shout for the podcast. It's the one thing we can say that Drew brought to the table. Um, that not this, <laughs> he brings a lot to the table. but I bring uh, my voice also, which is a little yeah. raspy today, but normally, you know, sounds good. So in doing the clinical grind, this is actually a case I had early on as an attending that I wanted to bring to the table and we can tease through how it went. So to accept the stage, I was at a county hospital working out again, first year as an attending, and I'm working a clinical shift and I get asked by the charge nurse, Hey, we have a staff member bringing in their family. They want you to come see them. I know you're busy. Can you make time and come see this patient? So I walk into the room and I see a pediatric patient with their mom. The mom's from our radiology department. I know her peripherally, but you hear the, hey, I, are you busy? Can you come see a, a staff member's family? What kind of starts going through your brain in that moment? Has anyone ever actually said no to that question?
1: Right, like if my chargers walked up to me and said, hey, one of our staff is bringing a patient in, can you look at them? I mean, what am I going to do? Say no. They're coming to me specifically. Like,
2: quality, that was my point too. That That's not the time when you say, oh, well, I'm going to leave here in five minutes. Yeah. <sighs> totally disregard this whole workplace relationship that I have with anyone (laughs) you're like okay sure I can help what you got
3: as we all know whenever we have had nurses come to us with any type of I'm worried about this person it is an immediate spider sense that goes off that says oh crap (laughs) I am about to walk into this room and I'm the same way with just about every single type of emergency if I would rather rather err on the side of I'm cautious here. Let me go see this person as opposed to, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, but they're fine. I don't even know why you came to me. So I'm absolutely almost sprinting into that room now.
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree with everybody. I'm a big fan of if the nurses come and ask me to see a patient, regardless if they're a family member, I'm going to get in my chair, but there's that little bit of emphasis. I think when it's somebody that is a family member of a staff member, because I kind of view that as basically a family member of me, that they're part of the ED family, I need to go take care of this patient. So as we're walking to the patient's room, the staff member, the AM goes, hey, we want this to be quick, they need to get to a family event. But when I walk into the room, I see a, a kid that looks like they're pretty uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I hear the mom kind of start telling me the story about how she fell off of a swing at recess. And now she's bringing her to the hospital and is concerned because her daughter typically does not complain about anything. So maybe add that little wrinkle to the story. What's, what starts going through your mind when you hear fell off a swing, typically doesn't complain of anything, and the family member, the mom, who's a healthcare worker, appears a little worried.
2: Well, quite naturally, I'm concerned. And there's an indirect relationship between as soon as someone says, we need to leave the ER in a hurry, we have something else to do. And the complexity of the pathology, they're indirectly related. So the quicker you need to leave, the more the pathology is going to increase as well. So that is the ER rule. So that's, that's a huge concern for me, just from what mom said, because if there's one person that knows what's going on with their child, usually it's the parent. You can ask a parent, questionable dads, but moms are spot on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> questionable I, dads, and I'm saying that as a dad. I completely second that as a emergency medicine physician dad. I have been proven wrong by my wife multiple times about the acuity of our children's illness. 100%.
3: And you can never live that down. Like, never. never. The fact. Yes. <laughs> you remember that time that you didn't worry? There, there was w-
1: <laughs> this one time I said, God, it's not strep. And as my wife is logging in to her phone to see a positive strep culture on the kid forever now, I've just, just take them to the pediatrician. I don't know anything. Dude, my wife sent
2: a letter to the Illinois Department of Health saying, you may want to look at this guy. For strep. For strap, Same thing. For strap,
0: Nice. It's well, world. it's good to know that as physician dads, we all live in the same place to where our wives did not trust us with anything related to the care of our children. But that being said, so like you guys, I'm worried. So the mom says they got to go, but then she mentions this is not something that the kid typically complains of. So in my mind, it's like, all right, so fell off a swing. I automatically start thinking about the relations of what that is. I try to tease out from the mom how she fell off the swing, because I mean, I've fallen off a swing before. I'm the most accident prone individual, I'm sure on this call. And there's like a 100 different ways to fall off a swing. Did they fall face forward? Did they fall and hit their knees? Did they fall and with hands out? Am I worried about a buckle fracture of a wrist? Am I worried about a dislocation of a joint? And mom says she's not really sure. But the kid is able to tell me that she just, when she was swinging, the swing like came out from under her and she landed directly on her back. And so I start my evaluation. And I noticed this recurrent theme throughout my discussion with the mom and evaluating the patient. The patient is just in a ton of pain. The exam is ear, nose, and throat is normal. Heart and lungs are normal, except, you know, she's a little tachypneic. She's tachycardic. She looks uncomfortable when she's breathing, but her lungs are clear. Her abdomen is diffusely tender with really no focal areas, but really diffusely tender. Like she's audibly crying and saying ouch throughout the exam, which again, is not typical for a kid under the age of 10. And then when I look at her back, she's got significant pain with her flanks, but really no external signs of trauma, no midline tenderness of the thoracic or lumbar spine, able to move all the extremities, except when she moves her legs, she complains of worsening abdominal pain. So add, you know, where I this is building on itself. So as we add these layers, what's going through your guys' brain that should be on my list of things I should be worrying about as I look at this kid?
1: Why don't I have an ambulance on the way to take this kid to a pediatric hospital already? In the setting of trauma, you have an acute abdomen. I mean, that's what you just described, right? I mean, I need nothing else. It doesn't matter what my lab results come back as. It doesn't matter what my imaging, unless I'm putting this kid through a CT scanner with IV contrast, maybe a CTA, right? And I'm not probably not doing that because I'm not a pediatric trauma physician. Mm -hmm. So I'm not always down with what, the pediatric center is doing. And I, similar to where you guys are in Orlando, have a pediatric level one trauma center, fifty minutes down the road from me. Right. So I'm, I am lucky where I don't have to do this type of stuff. I can just ship them and let them decide what the workup is going to be, but by, I mean, I don't know how to say it any differently.
3: No, I agree 100%. I mean, there's there's a lot of, of worrisome signs here. You have a patient who had a trauma. I mean, this is by all intents and purposes, a trauma. I always tend to focus on vital signs. You have a patient who's tachycardic. Why are they tachycardic? You know, she might be scared. You know, she's in the emergency department. She doesn't want to be in the hospital, but it is really hard to fake tachypnea. Tachypnea is a very, probably what I would probably say, probably one of my most worrisome vital signs. And you told us that the lungs were clear. The patient wasn't complaining of shortness of breath, but you have a patient who's tachypnic, who has clear lungs. And I mean, your differential for that is very tight, but they're all bad things. You know, you have PE, you have ACS, you have pericardial effusion you have metabolic acidosis i mean this person could have something very bad brewing in their abdomen they may have a ruptured viscous they may have malperfusion of some sort due to a bleeding vessel that they injured on their in their trauma and now they have a lactic acidosis or they may just be in such a significant amount of pain from whatever disaster has happened in their abdomen that whenever they take a deep breath they actually hurt And that tachypnea is also concerning. Kids don't usually complain or show signs of dyspnea or tachypnea unless something really bad is going on. And so I am absolutely 100%
2: very worried about this little child. To add on to that as well, (laughs) is that the next question as well as that all of us have been in this position is we've already committed that this patient will receive their definitive management outside of our institution. But the question is, what are you going to do? in this time before the patient is transferred. As an example, all of us have seen kids have falling off of playgrounds in some capacity, but they've had different pathology from fractures. I've had two kids in my practice fall off of some capacity, whatever it was, and one had, both had a pneumothorax, and they both complained of back pain. And so the question is, I know I'm transferring this kid, but what am I going to do now? to provide further insight other than pain, because that's what we're going to do. We're going to get pain medication, you get IV access. In my practice, I use the ultrasound and get a chest x-ray mm-hmm. because those are the two realistic modalities that I can get some insight. Realistically, I can do a fast exam at 1050 and that kid will call for the parent sneezes and do another fast exam at 11 o'clock and there's fluid. So I'm cognizant of the fact that your fast exam is good as that physical exam at that moment, but that's what I'll do because at least it can I can gauge and have a little bit of insight when I'm talking to Andy at the definitive end, or if I'm talking to George or Andrew. You know, if I call you and say, "Hey, I got a sick kid," you're going to push back and say, "Chris, you're lucky. I know you. I got sick kids all the time. Why are you going to transfer this patient?" And that provides a little bit of insight and saying, hey, I'm concerned. Abnormal vitals are what to an ER doctor? Abnormal vitals. But yeah. it's abnormal vitals leading to what? What's your yeah. differential?
0: So you guys kind of brought up all the things that were going through my mind. It was like, I need to image this kid. I need to treat this kid's pain. I need to do a fast exam. And so as I was doing my physical exam, I started telling mom, I said, hey, I'm glad you brought her. I know you're worried. I'm worried too. Here's what I'm worried about. Start explaining the differential. And I got to give mom a little bit of credit or a little bit of you know pushback because mom was like, we really got to go to this family thing. And I was like, look, here's the deal. I'm concerned your kid has a bleed in their belly. They have a pneumothorax. So we're gonna give her some pain medicine to see if she can get comfortable. We're gonna do some modalities. I'm gonna go make some phone calls and then we're gonna go from there. And so as it goes, you know, fast forward 45 minutes, I called the the children's hospital. You know, they said they said sure, call us back with some results. They were working on getting their transport team to come down and get the kid. And in the meantime, I have a normal chest x-ray. A normal pelvis x ray, a fast exam that's normal, labs that are normal, and the kid does not respond to age appropriate doses of morphine. So, what's going through your guys' mind now, even more so than before? So, in this circumstance, I mean, one of the things that I I would definitely
3: harp on to, especially younger learners who are listening to this, is that you are limited by the modalities that you have chosen for this child. You know, you're concerned about perforated viscous, you're concerned about Injured abdominal organs or perforated vascular structures, and you have an initial set of labs, which are taken in the moment, just like every GI bleed you've ever had in your life, every, you know, acute coronary syndrome that you've evaluated in your life, you had a normal troponin at time zero, or a normal CBC at time zero, you have to repeat things. And the same with your x-rays, chest x-rays are great for evaluating for Intra-thoracic injuries and certainly good for evaluating for perforated viscous gastrointestinal viscous, but it doesn't look at your liver. It doesn't look at your spleen. It doesn't do anything in the retroperitoneum. The FAST exam is great at identifying intra-abdominal fluid. <clears throat> However, just like Chris said, and just like every EKG you've ever gotten, it's time zero. So later on, that patient may have had a FAST that was abnormal. And so your one-time FAST and a patient who still looks very unstable is not doing anything for you except falsely alleviating your concerns, which is absolutely crucial to understand. If you think that the patient still looks sick and all of your stuff looks normal, think outside the box. Now, should we be doing some more advanced imaging? Do I need to go to CT scan? You know, we all talk about concerns about CTing young children because of the radiation radiation risks and things of that nature. but in this circumstance you have your weighing b- benefits versus risk. If your transport team is there, bye. Like Drew said, see you later, alligator. <laughs> Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you. <laughs> Get out. But if you still have time, if the transport team is like, look, we're an hour out or 30 minutes out. And if you can quick run them through the scanner, this is a circumstance where your CT scan will actually probably be very beneficial. Despite the fact that your labs at time zero or even time one minute or five minutes are
1: normal, you have concern about this one. CT scan is probably indicated. <clears throat> and talk to your receiving team and find out what they want. Hey, if I think this kid needs to be imaged, what imaging would you get, Mm -hmm. right? To make sure that I'm getting the test that they want and we don't have to risk this kid getting repeat radiation when they get to Mm -hmm. a facility. I'm 100% on with George, right? This kid probably needs the tube of truth, but let my experts that I'm sending them to guide what I'm going to do as opposed to me being the the cowboy EM doc and just decide what to do on my own, right? Because I'm already engaging them. I've already made the decision. They're going to go there, pushback, no pushback, whatever, right? So now I got to play their game. Okay. Yeah, so I, I'll submit go for it,
2: Chris. Gentlemen, that bad news never gets better with time. If you know this patient deserves a CT, you're not going to get the CT here. And for many wait for two hours for the CT for me to say, oh yeah, I was right. This was a retroperitoneal something or it's a bleed. Hey, Andy, I'm calling because I'm concerned about this child that has pain out of proportion with this pain medication. Here's <laughs> the initial stuff. I'm going to send it because that's what we do at my shop. If we get a trauma and we call Cook County, which is literally across the street, Cook County says, don't waste time with that CT. If your clinical gestalt is X, Y, and Z, and these bottles are this way, and the physical exam, and you've already given it, and you're giving a or more for this child who's still in a whole lot of pain, we'll do the CT here. Because nine times out of 10, what we find, you're going to, you know, you're putting the cart before the horse. If you can communicate that, and that's what I recommend to anyone listening as well. If you feel this is bad, remember bad news never gets better with time. Mm -hmm. Hey, I've got enough evidence to say this needs to go to a CT at your shop because two hours or three hours getting a CT at my shop to transfer to George's facility can literally be life or death for this
0: patient. Yeah. You got this outline a couple hours ago, which was kind of purposeful, but you guys are hitting everything out of the park to where I remember I called back to give an update. I spoke with a different attending than I did before. And I said, Hey, this is what I've got. This is what I'm concerned about. And I said, look, I know everything's negative, but I have a kid that has received multiple doses of morphine has a negative workup, but is still have pain out of proportion. Then I'm concerned about a retroperitoneal hematoma, an early perforated viscous or something I'm not getting on a fast exam. Cause we know it's not exactly perfect in the pediatric patient. And they said, you know what? We need to get them here soon so we switched from a basic truck to the critical care truck. Um, actually changed from their critical care truck to a local ambulance that just went light and lights and sirens to children's. And so we send the kid to children's at the end of all this the kid ended up having a spleen lack a liver lack required IR embolization admission to the hospital, and then got discharged a week later. So really at the end of this, I wanted to kind of tease on the idea of this all kind of started with this idea of a spidey sense. George brought it up earlier in the conversation. And that's something that I did not value at the time until this happened with this particular patient. I, I had heard about it. I had heard attending say, oh, you're going to have the spidey sense one day. And I had never experienced that moment until this patient came into the hospital where something told me the second I saw this patient, they needed to leave. And so the question is, is this real? And then how do we develop it as clinicians?
3: That's such a fantastic question. So I'm gonna briefly give a story. So to give everybody some insight, it's been a long time since I've seen children. And at my new shop where I work in San Antonio, I now see kids again, which has been 10 years since I've seen a child. (laughs) So I had a kid who was sent in for, quote, rule out meningitis by a pediatrician, who because he wouldn't move his neck, and he'd been febrile for a week. And my... spidey sense was going off. And I was like, something's wrong with this child. He was a nonverbal autistic child who couldn't tell me anything was going on with him. And mom was like, yeah, whenever he turns his head, he turns his entire body. He won't turn his head one way or the other. Low Low grade fever looked in the back of his throat, his throat looked pristine. And I was like, there's something wrong. There's something going on. I don't know what it is. Maybe he has a retropharyngeal abscess or something like that. So we get we send him for a CT scan. Sure enough, he had a three centimeter retropharyngeal abscess that I would have never diagnosed if I didn't have that spidey sense. That spidey sense is absolutely and 100% real. And I'm a huge MCU nerd. And I remember when Peter Parker first felt his spidey sense. And he was like, what is this? What is this feeling? And that's kind of how it happens in emergency medicine too. It's like you look at a patient and you think to yourself, everything looks normal on their labs or their imaging or a consultant comes down and says, hey, I examined that patient and they look okay. And in a lot of circumstances for us who work at big academic centers where residents come down, they haven't got that spidey sense yet. They have no idea what that spidey sense is. And so they go in and see a patient. They say, oh, you know what? They look fine. They look great. I'm going to walk out. They come to us and they say, yeah, nothing's wrong with that kid. I think they can go home. And you're like, you're wrong. (laughs) You are absolutely incorrect, sir.
1: There's nothing (laughs) that triggers me more than an intern doing a consult in the ED telling me, well, in my experience, (laughs) let me tell you about your experience because it's much change real quick. Yeah. I mean, George, when I think of this, it is informed system one processing is what it is. You don't have this. You have system one when you are brand new in whatever you're doing, particularly medicine, right? Hey, this isn't right. I need to I need to act quickly. I don't have time to go to system two. Spidey sense though is informed system one. We start having pattern recognition. Your mind is analyzing a situation faster than you could ever realize and it's doing it. And you're picking up on bits and pieces that if somebody asked you, what did you just look at to know that something was wrong? You wouldn't be able to explain it, but you know something is wrong. Mm -hmm. 10 minutes later, you might be able to go step by step and explain what it is. But your mind is processing faster than you realize is going on but in a way that's informed because we have pattern recognition to know something isn't right. So yes, spotty sense is real. It's system one, but it's system one with experience. I think that going with that,
2: there's two things with this is that clinical gestalt client, your spotty sense. There's a reason why you and I, the panelists can speak to this is because we have the inside and the experience. And so you're channeling that together. And I think that's one thing is that if you in Georgia story and drew stories as well, you knew that the, at the end of this math equation, the answer was five. And I think it's extremely important to speak to everyone to realize that not only trust your spidey sense, but understand the bias of you not trusting the, your spidey sense. In other words, don't make this fit. If you know what's wrong, don't say, well, the answer is five, but it's going to be two plus three don't make this number three. If you're getting two and the next number seven, it can't be. If you know what the correct number is, if you know this discharge, if you know the definitive diagnosis is different because of your clinical distal, because of your spotty sense, don't make this patient fit some bias. If you know this patient needs to go, if you know what Andy communicated, he was like, look, I know the CT is negative and the chest X-ray is negative, but this doesn't fit. And I think that the confidence of having that experience and Accepting that you are right, knowing that your spotty sense is going to be correct. If you're thinking to yourself, you know what, do I need a CT? The answer is I need a CT.
1: And not even that you're right, but that you have to be proven wrong. Exactly. Right. And and my spidey sense is not always right. But when it goes off, I need to be proven wrong.
3: Mm -hmm. And And I'm cool with that. I am
1: cool being proven wrong. And then that builds to my next time that scenario happens and that gets incorporated in that informed system one processing. But, you know, the number one rule that I abide by is I don't want to think about it on my drive home, right? I
2: am totally okay with being incorrect. That's why all of us, when someone says I've got chest pain, you get an EKG and troponin on every patient that comes in. No one says,
1: wow, your troponin was negative. What type of doctor are you? Yeah. If every time you activate the cath lab, it's a positive cath, (laughs) you're missing STEMIs, right? Like, I don't know what else to tell you. Yep.
3: Absolutely. Same with strokes. You know, our neurologists are like, Look, if you have a patient who comes in with like toe numbness and you're like, oh, that's not a stroke, clearly not a stroke, not a stroke. They still want us to call a stroke alert just to make sure and have someone come in and say, absolutely not, because you can have that patient who comes in who you're like really, really not concerned about and then miss a stroke percent, you're out of that window. So i am always of the mindset, if your spidey sense is going
0: off, act on it. Yeah, I love that you guys bring that up because I think that, and I love that you brought up System 1 and System 2 because I think at the time I did not appreciate what residency was until this moment. This this was the product of a lot of education, Mm -hmm. seeing a lot of patients, being around people and teasing out from attendings when their spidey sounds would go off, why did it go off, what did you see, and how this is something that is real, it's developable, and it's something that will change over the course of my career based Mm -hmm. off of my clinical experience and the time I spend remembering to read and to be updated with the most up-to-date literature and little nuances of diseases. So it's totally something that's real. I remember being like, I don't know if I'm a believer in this. And then this event happened. And now I'm a huge believer in it. Something that I try to actively listen to on a regular basis of is my spidey sense telling me something that I'm not paying attention to.
3: That's huge. And one thing that I especially want the, the learners to take home from this is that your spidey sense can be affected by a lot of different factors. But let's say you have a lawsuit that comes against you. And that can affect you, unfortunately, and make you a little bit more on the conservative side where you think to yourself you're triggered automatically by oh gosh I remember the last time I had a chest pain patient, and now I get your on everybody or I get EKGs on everybody because your spider sense has been heightened despite the fact, but it's been heightened by something that is an unfortunate circumstance and certainly not something that should be driving your care. I give a talk on this about the success of failure and when it does occur and and how you bounce back from that. The goal here isn't to become this super, super, super conservative emergency physician. The spider sense helps you to kind of toe that line between being quote unquote, a cowboy, which I can say in Texas, (laughs) or that more conservative emergency physician. And the goal isn't to be one or the other. It's kind of to marry the middle of conservative enough and cowboy enough that you feel comfortable discharging the 89-year-old patient who comes in with you know, a toenail (laughs) dislodgement. And you're thinking to yourself, there's something wrong with this 89-year-old. She came in with a toenail dislodgement. Why am I so concerned about her? Or the 21 year old who's obese and diabetic and hypertensive who has crushing substernal chest pain with a normal troponin and you're thinking to yourself oh, I'll just send them home I mean they're 21 there's nothing wrong with them <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of what residency is all about you're looking at your attendings and trying to build your knowledge but on the same token of that the experience of seeing patients. You should try to see as many patients as you can and learn from us as your faculty members how we work up patients and how we develop that spidey sense. You're thinking to yourself, you walk into the room and you say, oh, that person doesn't have appendicitis. That right lower quadrant pain is very benign to me. I think that that's per- that person person's probably fine. And then your attending walks out of the room and says, that person needs a CT scan. That person absolutely gets, needs a CT scan. Well, rather than just order it and say, oh, here's Dr. Willis again, ordering CT scans on people. You say, well, Dr. Willis, what are you concerned about? What made your exam different from my exam to make you think that this person needs a CT scan? If I can't explain it very well, it's probably my spidey sense. In most circumstances, if it's like, oh, it's probably fine, I'll probably say, you know, there's something that made me a little bit more uncomfortable and and made me think that this person needs a CT scan just to make sure. And a lot of us can explain that. But if it's the spidey sense, then sometimes we're just like, look, there's something wrong here. <laughs> and that's really all you have to say. And then the residents will obviously be amazed, especially if you're right. <laughs> They'll say, oh my gosh, Dr. Willis. Wow. The, the spotty sense was real. It's real.
1: I'll just finish it with the feeling of your spotty sense actually being right when you get pushed back from the other person. And we all work in the academic setting. So typically it's the residents, but sometimes it's that the consultant or whoever sometimes even my own EM residents right there, like, no, we don't need to get that scan. It's not going to show us anything. And then it does. And you just, I mean, I literally walk into the other room and throw a little party for myself, like the happy <laughs> dance and then walk back out. I'm like, Oh yeah. I mean, I didn't think it would really be positive, but whew, glad, glad we got that scan. And then <laughs> your head, you're like, yes, 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 yes.
2: You take that subtle win. You do it all the time. Oh yeah. Or, or, or even when the residents say, they will say, you know, Dr. Colbert, I know this patient's COPD and usually, you know, 83%, but ah." Eh, I'm going to get the scan and see if he has a PE. Oh, I this love him. Yeah, this happened way, last man. week and I was like, I don't know why you think the patient have a PE, but we'll do it. Patient had a PE. Again, this, as, as physicians, as specifically ER physicians, this is not a win or lose, right or wrong gig. Nope. This is a differential thought out process with clinical gestalt. So you have good patient outcome. And as long as you keep that mindset, usually shifts work well. Teaching works well. You're an advocate for your patients.
3: Chris, I love that you said that because it, it brings up a really, really important point is that everybody's spidey sense is different. And so if you come out of that room and you're like, that person's not having an MI, fine. If you want to go ahead and get your opponents, go ahead and get your ponens. And then the troponin comes back and it's you know a thousand and the resident's like, oh, Dr. Willis, this person's totally having ACS. Don't harp on the fact that you're wrong there harp on the fact that they're developing their spidey sense they're developing that that clinical gestalt and it's like so you congratulate them and i've done this many well i'm not gonna say i've done this many times because that would infer that i'm actually wrong a lot (laughs) 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 but absolutely don't harp on the fact that you were wrong per se congratulate them say you know what look that's you developing your spidey sense, and give them the kudos that they deserve in that circumstance. To say, you know what, that's really awesome. That, that's just showing that you're growing as an emergency physician. So I absolutely applaud
0: them when it happens. So Chris George, we really appreciate you both coming on to talk with Drew and I about this important topic for EM Over Easy. And thanks so much for being here. Well, a big thanks to George and Chris for hopping on for that EM Over Easy clinical grind. And don't forget, we are the official podcast of the American College of Osteopathic Emergency Physicians, and a promotion they're doing for new graduates from residency is that if you join the ASOP prior to September 30th, you'll get 50% off your registration for Scientific Assembly and one of two HIPPO education bonuses for up to six months. So head on over to ASOP.org to learn more about Scientific Assembly and about joining their college by hitting the membership tab.